Hello and welcome to Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Widdis and I'm joined by poet and visual artist Helen Ivory. Helen's latest book, The Anatomical Venus, examines how women have been portrayed as other, as witches, as hysterics with wandering wombs, and as beautiful corpses cast in wax or on mortuary slabs in TV box sets. Helen spent six years researching historical records, uncovering extraordinary characters, colourful language and gruesome stories. She has spun these into tight, vivid poems which offer plenty of material for a fascinating and lively discussion. Let's hear one of the poems now. Well, this poem takes its title from a line from the Bible from Exodus 7, 11. Thou shalt not suffer a sorceress to live. For her neighbour's sickness was more than merely unnatural, for he sang perfectly without moving his lips. For she is intemperate in her desires and pilfers apples from the orchard, for she hitches her skirts to clamber the fence. For her womb is a wandering beast, for she is husbandless and at candle time brazenly trades with the devil. For she spoke razors to her brother who has looked upon her witch's pap and the odious suckling imp. For the corn is foul teeth, for the horse is bedlam in its stable, for the black cow and the white cow are dead. That's uh, incredible language there and an extraordinary list of uh, accusations against this poor woman. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, so, the, so the poem took its title from the Bible, as I said, but the, the source of the poem um, were lines taken a little bit or largely and the language taken from the Essex witch trials. Yeah, as you say, accusations and there are things thrown in like her womb is a wandering beast. The idea, um, kind of early scientific idea that the, the womb is an animal within an animal and it wanders about the body. And if a, if a woman is showing unrest in her psyche or whatever the word was those days, that you must try and tempt it back to its original housing. <laughs> And you do this with, um, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, you do this with, um, I don't know, various herbs and lighted candles kind of in, in, in the right direction. So all, all these kind of pseudo-sciencey things. And the, the idea and in, in this poem, this, um, the, the imps as well. So in the Essex Witch Trials, these women, well, they were men too, but it's lar largely women were being um, accused of, of having, having imps that are their familiars. And these imps were, yeah, cats, goats, you know, anything a little bit suspicious. It was just a fantastic source. And the Anatomical Venus, the book, I did quite a lot of research for it. And that's where the, the language comes from, just the things that I was reading, like the Manius Malficarum, the Witch's Hammer. Yeah, it just opened up, it opened up everything really. So were these descriptions originally about one woman or have you kind of taken them from place, different places and put them together? Yeah, I've, I've taken them from a few places, different accusations that were kind of flying about. Um, but it's all in the, um, it's a, a I think they, they're called primary sources, I think, in research, aren't they, the Essex Witch Trials. So it's, uh, it's pretty much recorded verbatim what was said. 
about these people, which you you read it and you're you're agog, <laughs> basically. <laughs> these things were being said and believed. I don't know if they were being believed. I don't know, actually believed, or whether it's just an excuse to get rid of people who might have been, you know, a little bit unsavoury, or you know, or might have lived on their own. Women who lived on their own with their cat and things like that. You know, people that, yeah, just just people really. <laughs> just the idea yeah. of getting rid, of, and also poor people, and you know, anyone that didn't quite fit in, and they were being blamed for things you know scapegoated and and stuff yeah i recommend it <laughs> it's interesting and slightly maddening um reading yeah what what got you interested in it well i got the idea after my collection prior to this was waiting for bluebeard and in the second part of the book i it's about um domestic abuse that i um suffered with someone who ca- i came to um, call bluebeard and when I'd done lots of readings for that, from that, um, lots of women and some men would, would come up to me and, and talk about their own blue bits. But I, I was getting kind of emails from people, that women who had been made to feel that they weren't quite right. You know, they've been, they've been other, they want, they were different from men. You know, there's something wrong with you. You're not behaving, <laughs> you're not behaving right. So that got me on to thinking, I don't know, about the othering of women just generally and, and um, how we're associated with, you know, witchcraft and the idea of hysteria and, you know, how it's all been recorded and you know l- largely by um by men how and so the the anatomical venus i don't know if you've come across these things they are um the, there's these wax anatomical sculptures they're of women and they were used in early scientific and kind of research so yeah there's this kind of go- gorgeous waxen woman all on a chaise long often with human hair as well and you can actually take her apart and see how she how she's made and yeah there, there's a kind of an odd passive voyeuristic thing happening there especially as women weren't allowed to um study medicine or you know even you know be doctors or yeah this is how it happens this is how it happens once you start on a thing it sends you off in all these different directions. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll need to have a poem about that and I need to cover that and I need to, you know, really get into that. And I, I probably um, haven't covered the whole subject, but I, you know, I've, I've done it as best as I can with my ability at this, you know, at a given time. Yes, um, I hadn't come across the term anatomical Venus until I read your collection, but uh, it uh, certainly seems like it can be a, a metaphor for a lot of things. Absolutely. Um, you said it uh, took you six years to write the collection. Uh, yeah, did, did something you... like that. Yeah, kind of thinking about it a bit, and and I don't know from from starting to write from publication date because you have to wait a little time, obviously, because um, your publisher is also obviously publishing other people as well. So yeah, from from the beginning to publication, it probably did take six years. But yeah, it's a it's a big project. I mean, I love I loved it. I love doing all the reading for it. Um, I like research-based um, writing a lot, I think. And the, the thing is, when you do research-based poems, you, you have to poem them up and, and try not to hang on to, to I don't know, to, to actual, I don't know, some of the facts, 
it has, you know, they've got to feel like poems and not like research, you know, you're not writing essays. Lots of reading and a little bit of alchemy when you're not thinking about it, I think. Yeah, there must be a huge amount of stuff out there to research. Um, uh, did you find yourself just getting uh, dragged deeper into it? Absolutely, yeah. And when you stop doing, I mean, you know, when you do do any project, say you've, you know, written a dissertation or an essay and you've been, you know, everything has been, has been about that. And when you come out of it, it's a bit, oh, what, what did I used to do before? And I, I, I've kind of got, and, you, and as, I don't know, I need a project to be working on. And I'm work, I've started thinking about what my new mojo is now, so to speak. But yeah, it, it was fantastic. I don't, I don't feel I've finished with it. I think I might go back in again at some point. What were the more interesting or surprising things you uh, learned along the way? The whole thing was a bit of a, <laughs> a shocker, really. The Malleus Malficarum, which is the Witch's Hammer, which is written by um, the Reverend Sprenger and Kramer, which was essentially the manual that the witch finders used to use to go about the place looking for, you know, for people they want to, wanted to send to trial, stroke, murder. So reading that which is still available you know you you can actually go on and and read the whole thing is massively terrifying and you are you know you're you're shocked and agog yeah i can't really you need to read (laughs) you need to read it or any interested person really does need to read it and and just all the misogynistic things in it it's yeah there's quite a lot of anger in these poems and there, there's lots and lots of people who have haven't been given a voice you know people who have lived and and yeah I tried to find a little little bit of space for those voices. I think uh, as uh, the exercise you're uh, suggesting that um, other people uh, try to write a, a poem based on a primary historic text Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can't, yeah, I I think just give it a go. Just read, I can't kind of guide guide you through any more than just read something, you know, that really, really interests you. Try to get at the way that they are using language and um, essentially just mimic it getting getting to that it's almost like you know you're acting you're you're becoming somebody else and you're using a different voice and it is massively liberating anyway to use a different voice especially if there are things that you want to say but can't find a way to say it in your own voice you know you find you know another way of speaking yeah that you and, and then all this stuff comes out from your unconscious <laughs> um, that naturally happens anyway when you write i think yeah, I guess there must be uh, a lot of places you can find these texts. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they, yeah, there's all there's all kinds of archives. And one of the archives that I was um, that I went to, I went to the Norfolk Record Office for some of my research uh, in um, people that had been in the St Andrews Asylum as well. And I, I researched quite a lot of women that had been mit- admitted there. And there are photographs of these people and how much they weighed when once were admitted and how much they were because a, a lot of people who were ad- admitted to the asylum were, were quite poor so how much they weighed when they went in and how much they weighed when they came out which is you know empirical evidence they must be getting better you know if they're eating and everything now so and, and also the when people were 
were admitted, they would, um, you know, they'd take the photograph that they'd take of them. They, they often look, you know, the hair was a bit of a mess. They're all, you know, kind of, yeah. Obviously, poorly, some kind of mania, something going on. And then when they left, the, the photograph um, taken of, of them, they were always sitting upright or often sitting upright, sometimes wearing a hat, you know, appearing to look in inverted commas normal you know, and that they would be pushed back out into society again and see how they went. And that's it, yeah, and looking at those records there, seeing how the doctors actually, the kind of language that the doctors were using to describe things people have now. And there were lots of things associated with babies, either having babies, having postpartum mania, postnatal depression. Now, you know, the kind of language that they were using there is different to the language that they use now and just... Yeah, it's very rich, all, all these, these different words and, um, and ways of speaking. Yeah, it's where I found it really, really fruitful. Yeah, well, I, it's, it's just uh, amazing to uh, discover and to learn about these things, regardless of whether they inspire a poem straight away. I guess you must have a lot of material now that might find its way into writing later on. Yeah, I think that's very possible, actually. I mean, it's... It's very haunting when you actually see these primary sources and you, you know, you get to hold the books and, you know, see the ink on the page. And when you open the book up, you know, the smell that, that comes out of it and you, there's a kind of, there's a direct connection with the writer of that text. That, mm. um, if records from now won't be like that, will they? Because they're, you know, they're electronic um, so there's something really, really heady about that kind of research as well. You know, human to human connection. Yeah, it's always, it's 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 fascinating. Well, um, going on to my own experiences of this exercise, and I guess when you're just uh, being asked to do this as an exercise, it can be a bit daunting when you just look back at the whole of history and you wonder <laughs> where you're going to uh, start. But um, I think you do just have to start off, you know, having fun exploring rather than uh, worrying too much about what you're going to write a poem about. I actually found quite a good site, eyewitnesstohistory.com, Mm -hmm. And that has um, all kinds of texts going back to uh, ancient Rome and up until the last century. Um, So that was interesting to browse. And one thing that um, caught my eye, which I ended up writing about, was um, an account by uh, P.T. Barnum, uh, the world's greatest showman. And uh, it was about one of his acts, a dwarf called Tom Thumb. And this was the uh, original description that he was billed as General Tom Thumb, a dwarf of 11 years of age, just arrived from England. And this description wasn't entirely truthful, as uh, you'll hear, but uh, this is a poem. This is called Tom Thumb. He is undoubtedly a dwarf, barely grown since six months old not two feet in height and less than 16 pounds. All right, he isn't quite 11 yet. His true age doubled and a bit. But a dwarf of five could not entice the crowds. Admire his antics and outfits. Did I really sell you short? And as for England, who would come for a kid from Connecticut with a name like Stratton? 
I see your hunger for the exotic, Chang, the Chinese giant, the wild men of Borneo, the snake man of Guyana. It's not so easy to stand and gawp at freaks that walk among us. So look around you as I call, humbly for your applause. Good. <laughs> I like the, the I mean, because the, the Barnum was a, um, a, um, a ringmaster, wasn't he? Um, so yeah. you have that kind of com command, um, you know, at the beginning of some of your stanzas, don't you? Yeah. How, what does your poem look like? How many stanzas have you got? <laughs> um, uh, it's just one block. Uh, oh, is it? Okay. I mean, yeah. it's divided into lines, but not stanzas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, some, when I, um, yeah sometimes when I write dramatic monologues, it does come out like that, doesn't it? So is, is it going to be stay at one block? I don't know. I'm still tweaking it a bit, but I haven't uh, felt the need to uh, divide it. But um, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Somehow, I, I like one block poems on the page, especially if it's a dramatic monologue. It's like a person standing there and talking, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Visually, I'm very, yeah, yeah that's why I need to know what poems look like. I, I'm very, cause maybe because I'm an artist. So, yeah, it's just, it's all part of it for me. It's all part of my, um, my engagement with the poem, how it looks on the page. When you did your, um, when you did your research, so you're obviously in interested in your subject matter aren't you that's that's what guided you that's what took you to Barnum is that right or did you come across it and yeah well I, I was just uh, browsing and I, I read a few articles I think what interested me about this was the way he justified lying to yeah. the audience you know especially with that and also kind of making out that um the people who came to his shows weren't really any better than he was yeah I think when you see something like that in a text it, it, it sort of gives you a good way in for a poem absolutely and it's, yeah it's the whole idea of the theatrical isn't it and how things appear you know the, this kind of early theatre and seances you know how, mm. how things appear on the on the outside as opposed to what's behind the smoke and mirrors you know what the actual facts are if you, you're kind of selling selling people a, a dream or a fantasy of something, aren't you, rather than the actual thing? It's advertising. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Early advertising. Absolutely. Yeah, and of course, I'm coming to this exercise after reading your poem. So I, I've also got people who are different and uh, sort of outside mainstream society. Yeah, I'm, I'm always interested in, in these voices, you know, people who don't get represented. And it, it almost feels like, do I have the right to speak for these people? A lot of the, when I was doing my research, especially the Norfolk Record Office, because, you know, they, they are people that have lived around here and there might be some of their relatives that, you know, that are, that are still here, you know. So, so do I have the right to speak for these people? So I always have that little kind of question or caveat in mind when I'm setting out to do these things, but hope I do I do it respectfully or hopefully it seems like I'm coming from the right place okay. you know my heart's in the right place about it I don't know if, if you thought too if you censored yourself too much about anything you'd never write a thing would you actually yeah yeah uh, have you got another poem from the collection I, I shall read hang on let me find it this is in the voice of Victoria Helen McRae Duncan, who in 1944 was the last person to be imprisoned under the British Witchcraft Act of 1735. And um, she was a medium. 
And some of the reading that I did about her, it seemed that, that she self-harmed and also the, just the, the idea of, you know, making a seance theatrical. So that came into this poem. So I don't know, the point, I don't know, I was trying to get at with this, see her, um, her ability as a medium is real, but that she must put on a show for other people. And how, how, do, you, how do you make this, how do you make it all visible? How do you, do you make spirits appear or appear to appear? <laughs> do you see what I mean? So she was known as, as Hellish Nell. So this is 1944 and so people were going to her and wanting to see the, the people, you know, their, lo- their lost men, their lost boys and, and fathers. Hellish Nell. They plead with me to birth their dead for them. What mother could refuse a sister mother? So I allow their soldier boys to use my voice to shape their cheery valedictions. But the mothers, they want to see their angel boys, to touch their faces one last crowning time. I must get theatrical, says my spirit guide. Then comes cheesecloth, egg white, ectoplasm leaking from my breasts, the labour stabs, the delivering of a shroud into the world, and their mouths agape like greedy fish. Is that him, my baby? Oh yes, they gulp it down. In quiet times without all eyes on me, I am forced to reconsider what is spirit, what is nature. I am unsteady with it all. And so, I make a meal of carpet tacks to weigh me to the floor. I deserve this pain for sullying the gift bestowed on me by God. Now, dim the lights if you really want to show. See the candles burning vacancies into my meat. Does my rashness disturb you? You would prefer me fay. Stand back. I might regurgitate all hell into your choking auditorium. There you go. I once <laughs> I do that at a reading, and once I did it, and it was my last poem that I that I read, and I kind of I kind of flounced away. I thought, no, that was a bad place to leave a, leave a reading, wasn't it? So now I don't I don't do that as my last one. Stand back, I might regurgitate all hell into your choking auditorium. It's not the last thing you want to hear from a poet at a poetry reading. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, very dark. I, I, I hope no one's listening to this too late at night. <laughs> um, but uh, it's amazing that what it is 1944, which uh, isn't that long ago. The previous poem it seems like a, from another time entirely. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I know. That, well, that's what I'm fi- I found with the research of this. You know, the the themes they continued from early um, the anatomical Venus thing that I spoke about. You know, the sculpture, this kind of wax sculpture that that men used to use to study the anatomy of women. I noticed in crime dramas, you know, on mortuary slab, there often be a beautiful young girl naked cut apart and the the light is is blue and she's kind of pre-raphaelite so it's it's a it's a thing that i kind of recognize that you know it's still going on it's still happening the objectification of, of the body dead body and the the woman and it, it's always in also in in the poems uh in in the book there are i have poems that are called um that are wonder cameras they're so they're cabinets of curiosity i mean to some extent the um the body is being used as a cabinet for curiosity of curiosity as well 
well, you know, because it's being opened and picked apart and stuff. Yeah, so they, these are kind of, yeah, definitely, definitely ongoing themes. And once you, once you notice them, which I have been, you carry on noticing them. I guess you can look back in time and think that we've moved on a lot, but um, there's still progress to be made with these things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, all the all the Me Too stuff and all of that kind and people who are in positions of power, you know, men who are in positions of power who, you know, use their power in a, you know, <laughs> a dark and corrupt way. Yeah. The, the other thing we should talk about is the artwork on the cover of uh, the anatomical Venus, which is um, also your work. Yeah, she is. She's she's made from a wax boudoir doll, her head and um, and and the top of her body and her arms are made from a wax boudoir doll. So that for me spoke to, you know, the original um, anatomical Venus kind of wax um, sculpture things. Also, she, I want to get, I want to get lots of elements in there. So um, she has, um, she has wings, bird wings. And um, also there are, there are shells, there are um, feathers and yeah, all, all kinds. So things that um, I felt were inside the book, the elemental and also the idea of a, a poppet as well, a wax poppet, and a representation, you know, a doll, a representation of woman. The moment I'm, I've been um, kind of le- learning um, to sculpt with um, needle felting, and I'm currently making, I've made creatures, I've made kind of crow and a fox and, you know, things that poets must. <laughs> and also some mice and some mice with wings. But I'm I'm making a, a, a needle felted kind of poppet and I'm going to um I think she's gonna be a little bit anatomical Venusy, so I'm gonna give um, try try to make her a little heart and, and things to go inside the body. Yeah, I'm just learning all, all these techniques and, and it, it's quite small and it's quite fiddly, so I'm getting new glasses um in the next couple of weeks. Right. <laughs> It sounds like a good hobby for lockdown. Well, yeah, absolutely. I'm just making more and more fuzzy creatures, really. You know, making a nest of uh, (laughs) things to protect you from the world. I've always made visual work as well as writing. And sometimes I combine them. I make collages, you know, cut up poems and combine those with images. Yeah, I've got a few things that I want to work on over over winter. It's good to have projects, as you say, um, to keep the, you know, darkness out and stuff. I bought lots of lights, got candles (laughs) as well to kind of light light up the house. And um, yeah, so I'm going to be... I'm going to try and concentrate on making some collages or um, kind of slightly more refined and neater cutting up and putting together I don't know I've got yeah, I've got so yeah. many materials I've got lots and lots that's what I like about collage actually because all of the sources you know you can cut up from lots and lots of sources and you know your, your juxtapositions and not just the juxtapositions of say the images and the words or different words together but also you get the paper you know different different paper stocks and the quality of print and sometimes some of that's nice to visually you know jet up against each other and see what happens uh, how's the poetry going it's okay I, I was writing quite a bit over the summer i'm doing a collaboration with george Zertes. we're writing about an imaginary exhibition so it's notional et frasis you know you're writing about our work that isn't there we're creating it and it, it it's um it's allowing us to, because um, he started art school as well, and you know thinks about visual art. So it, it allows us to, yeah, to think about that. 
it's called guided tour of the exhibition and we're up to I don't know how many we're up to but I know it's my turn to write something George works really fast and, and teaching started about three weeks ago for me and I've, I find it very difficult to write at the same time as teaching so I think we're up to we're up to about 16 or 17 poems altogether and we started to write artist statements so that's been interesting imagining an artist and what they've spent their life doing and because you don't actually physically have to make the artwork obviously because we're writing about it so you know unlimited budget <laughs> basically <laughs> that's one of the reasons that we're well, not one of the reasons but when I first started um, writing poems you know you do have an unlimited budget because you've just got your imagination really when you're making making actually making artwork you know you're spending lots of money you think about you know the amount of space that these things take up that you make especially if you make 3d stuff which i do um so then you start making smaller and smaller work <laughs> but yeah well it's uh, been fascinating um i've got another poem to finish with yeah another one of my little research things you know these these articles that are written you know in women's magazines it essentially it's, it seems like ways of controlling behavior and this was the article was 10 signs you might be a slut which I thought all right <laughs> so I thought I can do I can you know because of all of the writing that I've been doing the language that I've been um, using I, I would just take the language back a few hundred years and and this poem is, right, there are things in this poem um, such as a draggle tail. A draggle tail is if you're wearing a skirt and it's too long, and, you know, you, it's dragging on the ground and, you know, you don't want that. It's not a good mm. look. You don't want to be dragging all the stuff off the street and all the, the things, that you, you know, or, you know, you know, after the horse went out. Um, so you've got all the, you know, all of that kind of mess around. Anyway, um, what else have we got? We have got... Slut's pennies as well um, is an interesting little little phrase. Slut's pennies. If you were baking bread, they're the little hard bits that you might get in your in your dough, which means you are you're a bad baker, basically. I don't know. I don't know. I've I've, I've never had slut pennies in any of my in my bread, so maybe I'm all right. Um, so there's that, and there's a few other things in there. Anyway, this is called Six Signs You Might Be a Slatten. Are you a little draggle tail? Do your skirts bedevil leavings from the gutter? When you take a turn around the park, do bitches bevy close and claim you king? Are you wanton in your daily intercourse? Your ankles grind your lip-stained cochineal? And how's your baking lately? Is your dough a coffer for sluts pennies? Do you hear ill clamouring in your breast? Is there a midden where your heart should sit? And when a caller raps, does your front door acquiesce directly? The catch already sprung. That was Helen Ivory. Do check out the Anatomical Venus and Helen's other books and projects. You can find out more at her website, helenivory.co.uk, or via the Poetry Nonstop website, poetrynonstop.com where you can also find details of Helen's prompts. I'm sure you will find something to inspire a poem somewhere within the wealth of historical documents we have available to us in books, at the library and online. Please send your poems via the website. We'd love to read and share them. Thank you for listening and until next time, stay safe and keep writing.